gonna be a good day. Monday we do have a little bit left available here. Check us out familyfarmbeefbox.com. Thanks. Have a good day. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan, and this is our Globalist in Plain Sight show. Uh, just a reminder, we went on the air with this show in May of 2022 when I got wind of what <clears throat> the Biden administration and many other uh, world leaders are trying to do at the WHO and take away our uh, health sovereignty. <clears throat> and now we're, you know, many months into the show. And I am delighted today to have a man that I heard speak at a medical conference uh, just this past week, Dr. Brooke Miller. Brooke, welcome to the show. Thank you, Christine. It's my, my pleasure to be here. Well, folks, I want you to understand, it is very few times that I run into a doctor who is also a cattle rancher and the past president of the U.S. Cattle Ranchers Association. Do I have the name right, Brooke? United States Cattlemen's Association. The United States Cattlemen's Association. So this is this is very interesting, and I want everybody to listen up today because he and his wife Ann run a wellness uh, medical practice in uh, a very favorite part of my life. Uh, I, when I used to go uh, riding out in uh, Virginia, in Washington, Virginia, is where Ann and Brooke are based. And um, I, I want to start with this because you 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 and Ann have a different approach to medicine. And I want to just start with, before we get into the cattle and mRNA and what's going to happen to the food supply chain, did you see this coming, Brooke, you know, with the, with the, not the COVID, you know, that's, unless you're into the bioweapon world, you probably wouldn't even know that this was going on. But as a physician, did you, did you see this coming at all? Uh, you, you're talking about um... the COVID you know, the virus, the pandemic. I mean, was that was that even on your radar at the time? No, it wasn't. But wellness issues and and the domination of, um, quote, evidence based medicine uh, by outside interests was on my radar. And, and we saw what that did during the covid pandemic. And it led to to many deaths. And uh, it's it's uh, it's tragic. Were you were you. I mean, what's your position now on the on the medical industry in ter in terms of is this a wake up call for for a lot of physicians in terms of switching more to wellness as opposed to you know taking orders from the hospital administrators? 
Yes and no. Unfortunately, Christine, um, as you know, over the past 30 or 40 years, we've become highly regulated and a lot of red tape mm -hmm. and uh, the government and the insurance on, uh, uh, companies pretty much rule our industry. And as a result, it's driven a lot of doctors. Most doctors are now employed when it, as, as when I got out of medical school in 1986, most doctors were in private practice, but we've seen a gradual um, move to employed physicians, and that has really compromised our um, our profession and the, the physician-patient relationship. So I did see that coming um, very much. Do you, th you think it's because there's, there's a sense of, you know, making the medical field sort of a corporation where instead of having MDs as the hospital administrators, many of them you know, you might have an MBA as a hospital administrator. And then, and hence, the, you know, it, 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 the, the focus is really on making money for that institution. Yes, it is. Even though uh, there are a lot of nonprofits, their focus is still making money and, and paying high salaries. If you look at the, at a graph of uh, the number of administrators that uh, run a hospital and run medicine versus the number of doctors and nurses. The number of doctors and nurses have been flat over decades, but the number of administrators entering the field has dramatically increased over the past 15 to 20 years. We, when I used to work for a corporate uh, medical group and uh, they would keep on putting in more and more administration. And every time they did that, the providers all said, well, we got to work harder now. We got another mouth to feed. Uh, but they work the government. They farm. They they they. We in, in farming, it's called farming the government. They they farm the government in medicine with all the programs, and that was uh, very clear and apparent during the COVID nineteen pandemic. So, what was it like being a country doctor? You li you're living out in a beautiful part of the world in Washington, Virginia, and um, during COVID, what was it like? Well, you know, when it first hit, uh, you know. Being in a rural area, we didn't see any COVID patients initially, maybe one or two. And I, I write a substack called the Rancher Doctor Newsletter, and I <clears throat> I chronicle my mindset and my life through COVID. And I wrote a, the first very substack was uh, setting sail. I, I correlated to Christopher Columbus when he was trying to find uh, a route around uh, to the east to East Asia. And he thought the world was was round. He didn't know where he was going. He just sort of figured it out as, as he went. And that's the way we were with COVID. And uh, like a lot of physicians who turned out uh, being aggressively and treating uh, patients with early COVID to try to keep them out of the hospital, uh, I communicated with people that I knew um, all over the world or people that I found all over the world to try to figure out what was working in other sites. And uh it was it was it was challenging at first, but uh, mm -hmm. we have a good network of doctors that that share information, uh, so it's a lot better. Did you did you see the fear in in any of your patients? The way that that they, many people that I talked to, the nurses who can't talk to me on camera, but I just happen to know a lot of nurses across the country. They were telling me early on in 2020, you know, we're killing people, Christine. We're telling them to stay home. Well, their lips turn blue. They come to the hospital. The ER is going to put these people on ventilators. And we know that, you know, 80% of them are going to probably, you know, we're going to lose. Yeah, people were people were very frightened. Uh, uh, I think that was done on purpose. They tried to fly, frighten them into compliance. Masking was part of that. Um, the lockdowns, we're not, you're not going to get, uh, we're not mm -hmm. going to get out of lockdown until you take your vaccine. 
Um, and yeah, I saw a lot of fear and I had a lot of frustration because I was trying to, um, I was trying to educate my colleagues with studies on repurposed drugs and they basically wouldn't, wouldn't look at them. They, they just would blow it off and wouldn't discuss it. Um, the hospital uh, corporations sort of set the protocols. And if you didn't follow those protocols, uh, they did, they, they cast you away. You know, uh, Brooke is an investigative reporter. I, I've, I've said this and, and I kind of let people know I'm coming after them. I'm very interested in the International Federation of Medical Boards and also the the U.S. Uh, Fe Association of Medical Boards, you know, because I've interviewed so many doctors and I just can't believe what these medical, these state medical boards put doctors through. I, I mean, I think it's outrageous um, because I've spoken to a lot of people who, because they spoke out, you know, they had the medical boards come after them. And, you know, how do you flip that around? Is there a way to flip it around? Because I'm all ears and I, I, I think that what these medical boards are doing um, is just morally wrong because it, it takes away the doctor-patient relationship. Oh, it absolutely does. And um, my friend Richard Urso uh, mm -hmm. so eloquently spoke. He said, uh, you know, when I see a patient who has a condition that I've never treated, I don't call the CDC, I don't call the FDA, I don't call the NIH, I call a physician who has treated that patient. And that's that's the way it should be because physicians are very good at sharing information with one another and their personal experiences. And uh, yeah, this was a tragedy. This is the first uh, infectious disease process in my lifetime where the authorities told everybody no, don't treat them with anything. Uh, send them home. And if you get, you know, right. you're sick, then come to the hospital and we'll treat you there. Yeah. And there, were incentives, there were incentives to to treat COVID patients in the hospital. Uh, hospitals made a, uh, a large amount of cash on uh, the CARES Act and putting them on ventilators and treating them with remdesivir. Oh, they killed people. I mean, it's just, I mean, when I heard Fauci say remdesivir in spring of 2020, that was a huge red flag to me because I knew somebody who died from remdesivir during a clinical trial in three days back in before COVID ever even happened. So, I, I mean, that was that was that was like my, my lights just you know went up like neons. I mean, because I, I thought, OK, this is not a good option. Having said that, one of the good things that comes out of COVID is people looking at alternative medicine and also looking at wellness, because I think, you know, I remember one doctor in early 2020 said to me, I said, you know, what, what should we, people should be doing? He said, eat a lot of berries, antioxidants, you know, get a lot of exercise, get sun, go out there. And this was February, March of 2020. What, tell us about your practice and, and tell us, you know, uh, how you and your wife, Anne approach this. Okay. Um, just get back to your last question. I didn't answer your last question about what do we do to reverse the, the trend. I just think we continue to educate. The truth will come out, you know, um, and uh, we just need to continue to educate and we have to get the politicians on board. So far, they've been too uh, scared to touch this. They've, they're, they're too afraid of big pharma and the advertising dollars that big pharma throws around and, and donations. We've got to get We've got to educate the public and then the politicians will follow because they, they want votes and they want to stay in office. But our, our practice is, is a wellness practice. We try to get people off medication um, through uh, lifestyle changes, um, diet, exercise. Um, when I had uh, 
COVID-19 in November of 2020. Uh, as you know, I'm a farmer and a rancher, and I had to go out and uh, we were actually artificially inseminating some cows, and I had to go out and and check the cattle. You were busy. You were I, busy. Had, I had to get them bred, and I was sick, and I didn't want to get out of bed. Uh, I wanted to just lay in bed all day, and um, you know, I but I got out outside, I got out in the sunlight, and I breathed clean, fresh air, and I almost instantly fell better. So, you know, there's no substitute for fresh air, sunshine. Um, a healthy diet that avoids processed and ultra processed foods, uh, fasting, exercise, those all stimulate our immune system uh, to take care of our body and not only kill pathogens like COVID, uh, but also uh, prevent cancer and uh, other illnesses. When you spoke at this medical conference, I was very, I, I thought it, you were spot on when you were talking about getting processed foods out of people's diets. Elaborate on that for a moment, because I think, you know, here in the United States, you know, at my age, I mean, I've seen a lot of people eat processed foods. I mean, I were, you know, I, I could not, that wasn't something I grew up with. We always had fresh fruit, fresh fruit. Yeah, I, I think it's the result of um, some junk science uh, performed in the 60s and 70s by a, a physiologist named Ansel Keys. Um, and, uh, the result in dietary guidelines where the government got into our lives and started telling us what to eat. The government was telling us what to eat, not, um, you know, people of health and wellness. And, uh, they came out with the dietary guidelines and, uh, the dietary guidelines, you can meet the dietary guidelines eating junk food and the big food corporations, you know, they, a lot of these things that they put in the ultra processed foods are waste products. Right. And they figured, hey, we can we have a big profit margin. Uh, these they figured out that they're addictive. Um, and so they started putting them in food. And about the time they started using seed oils in the 1990s is when we started seeing an obesity crisis. And um, they use these ultra processed food and seed oils uh, because they're low in fat. And um uh, the, it's, the results have been da disastrous. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned in my speech on Monday that everybody can see has seen those pictures on social media of uh, the people standing on the beach in the 1970s, and they're all thin and lean and healthy appearing. And now you look at it today, and it's like uh, it's not even the same. You know, it's it's just it's just absolutely ludicrous what big food has done to uh, the health of our nation and is, and is uh, cost millions and billions of dollars and uh, kill millions of people prematurely. Do you, do you think that there's a way to turn this back? Because basically what we're talking about is regulation. We're talking about it in terms of the medical, we're talking about it in terms of the department of agriculture. Uh, you know, is there a way to, 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 to reverse this so that we, we get to a healthier spot? Well, I think we need to continue to educate people. Um, I think a lot of people are waking up, but we also have to have truth in labeling uh, mm -hmm. because much of much of the uh, junk and crap that uh, goes into the food or goes into the processing of the food is not uh, labeled accurately. Uh, you know, the, I don't go in the grocery store very often. My wife does most of the shopping. Uh, but every time I go in, I see these big signs. It says low fat, low fat. And that's that's used as as a, a tool to attract consumers because they uh, 
Uh, we've been told for decades that low fat is the way to go. Uh, but what they don't tell you is it's high sugar, you know, and, and I think some of these foods should, should carry warning, carry warning labels. I really do like uh, tobacco does. I mean, there are certain foods that increase your risk of developing diabetes. If you continue to um, continue to consume and eat them. And, and that's basically all process, ultra processed foods. You know, I just, when we were talking about this, it, it came to mind that, you know, when we talk about the opiate um, disaster, okay, with the Sackler family, and, and I'm very critical about them. I tell everybody to read the book, The Empire of Pain, which came out in 2021, um, which is about the corruption with the Sackler family and Oxycontin. But they were the people who actually created that sign that was in every ER hospital in America for the pain, you know, when they asked, the doctors ask you, what, what pain do you have? One to 10. And that's, to me, that was a false labeling. And that was a tool that was used to get people to take the painkillers. So it sounds as if what you're suggesting is, you know, that was a false label for, for I consider it a false label. You know, we see false labeling and all and food um, all the time. You know, the product of the USA label, as I spoke about on Monday is, is anything but, and it's, um, uh, it's confusing and it's basically, it's a, it's a lie. Um, just like a lot of organic foods can qualify for organic. Uh, they're not truly organic. So we've got to clean up labeling. The problem is, as you know, the industry that these government regulatory agencies regulate uh, have captured them. Right. Uh, in various ways. And it's, it's like that in all walks of life, every department, uh, that we have every regulatory agency in Washington, D.C. that we have and on the state level, they're highly captured. Is uh, So you're in, you're in Virginia. Um, do, do you think that the state, and I've been traveling around the country for the last three years, and I've noticed that the Pharmaceutical Manufacturing and Research Association, you know, based in D.C., that, you know, I think there's maybe five people in the House of the Senate who don't take money from, from those guys. And I've known just as a political journalist for decades that how powerful they are as a lobbying group in D.C. And what I've noticed in the last three years is how powerful the pharma lobbying is at the state level. Have you seen that over the years grow in terms of power and influence on the state level as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when I was a kid, um, pharmaceutical companies could not advertise in the media and i forget what year it was but ever since then uh plus the the vaccine indemnity act that that uh prevents um vaccine manufacturers from being held liable for damages caused by their product has caused an explosion in uh, profits for pharma and thus they're more than willing to um deal it out to any agency or any person that can help them achieve their goals which is selling more drugs a lot of times I think we are, they come up with medications and look for a disease to treat with it. I know a very wise professor told me uh, my very first day of medical school, my kids um, laugh at me every time I say this because they've heard it a million times, but he said, half of everything we teach you in medical school will later be proven wrong. We just don't know which, which half. Well, I think it's probably higher than that. Now, I didn't believe him then, but I certainly believe him now uh, with the way pharma controls uh, our medical schools and our government agencies and, and basically uh, the narrative. Well, it is. And I, and I remember, um, I actually remember it was like in the 1980s when I was political director at CNN is when Pharma was first able to go on the air with their commercials. And then in 1986, when 
there was, you know, immunity for anybody who manufactured vaccinations. And I can't remember when it was for the medical devices. But, you know, I remember at the time when I would be traveling overseas, people would always ask me two questions. Why do you people have pharma, you know, commercials? And why, what's this thing about guns in America? They, they couldn't understand it because in the commercials, they would say, take this for X, Y, and Z, but, you know, talk to your doctor because one of the side effects may be stroke and death. So why would it be on the, you know, I mean, people overseas used to think that we were crazy with these commercials on, on television. And then New Zealand had them for a while, but there's no other country in the world. Let me ask you something, because I'm very interested in how you and Anne practice. I've always believed that Americans were addicted to pharmaceuticals. 75% of Americans have a prescription. And I, I, I'm not somebody, because I'm irreverent. That's why I'm an investigative journalist. Um, I don't have the... I don't believe in the medical divinity of the white coat any more than I believe in the you know religious collar of a Catholic priest. And I was raised Catholic. Um, but does does that play into doctors saying to their patients, I mean the medical divinity, does does that play into the trust factor? If the doctor says something, then people do it? Because I would always go for a second opinion. And it, it, not to be personal to any doctors, that's just the way that I rock and roll. Well, I think, first of all, I think a, a lot of people, they see the advertising and they're more likely to take a medication if they've seen it advertised on TV. I've heard about that. I mean, oh. that's that's without a doubt that I've seen that. Um, but a lot of patients come to the uh, come to the doctor and they want a medication to take care of their ailments. Because they've seen it on television? I don't know, I guess, probably uh, they, you know, they, they talk about, you know, such and such, he went to the doctor and he got this. So I want that. Um, or mm. I've got this or I've got that. I want, I want some medication to take care of it. They, uh, we have become as a, I don't want to get too, I don't want to condemn too many people, but as a nation, we've become sort of lazy in that we want to take the easy way out and, taking a pill is a lot easier than getting up and exercising an hour a day or getting up and, you know, eating a donut and taking a pill is easier than making sure you eat a good, healthy, whole food diet uh, and don't need that pill. So I, I think our country is becoming conditioned that medicine is a way of life and it's the way to live longer. And it's, there's anything but the truth. Right. That is true. That is true. So we're going to take a break here, Brooke. And I want to come back. I want to talk about your cattle because I, because I have never met, and I told you this at the conference, I'd never met a, a physician who was a cattle rancher. Now, there may be a million of those, million of you out there, but I had never met you. So I'm very, I was very interested in how you were talking about cattle, the MRNA, the food supply. So when we come back from this break, we'll get into it. Thank you. Knowing how to invest your money is harder than ever before. Dealing with stock market volatility, record debt, and terrorist attacks requires new thinking. At U.S. Asset Management, we can help you see the world more clearly so that you can move beyond the chaos and invest with confidence. Call us, visit us online, or drop by our office. U.S. Asset Management, helping you make better decisions with your money. 
Well, we're back with Dr. Brooke Miller. Uh, listen, is your is Anne going to join us, or is she is she off? She's she, not. She's not going to join us. Okay, so we'll do this another time with Anne. But let's let's talk about you have a tenth generation cattle farm out in Virginia. So let's, Actually, let's talk about the history of this because I, I third, if our grandchildren do it, it'll be five generations. Uh, my five. family moved here 10 generations ago uh, in Rappahannock County. So I'm, I'm 10, gen 10 generations deep in Rappahannock County, or we are uh, 10 generations deep in Rappahannock County. But my father and grandfather started uh, a purebred seed stock operation in 1957. And uh, ever since I was knee high to a grasshopper, I've always loved animals and loved cattle, and I knew that's what I wanted to do from a very early age in life. Um, so, you know, I don't have any free time now. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, you don't, and you're up, you're up at dawn, but you're not taking care of patients in the country. You're taking care of the, the feed in the morning, right? Well, no, we're, we're, we're taking care of patients most of the time. I have a, good, I have a very good employee that, that comes in five days a week, uh, and he helps out a lot. And, uh, you know, sometimes during busy, like calving season, I'll have to go out hours before I go to practice and, um, you know, weigh and tag calves and um, check cattle and whatnot. For most of the year, um, uh, you know, the daylight hour, there are only so many hours in the day in the wintertime. So uh, there are a lot of days where I don't ever see the cattle, but a lot of days when, you know, during the summertime, I'm out there till dark every night uh, doing work. So let's let's talk about you know the food supply because um, I, I think I think it's it, it's just a perfect nexus here where you're a physician your practice is focusing on wellness you know we have a whole world out there you know and the head of the head of the snake is Bill Gates and some other people that are talking about you know putting mRNA into animals which would come down you know to to human beings as consumers. What's your take on what's going on with this conversation? Because to me, it just seems if they can't if they can't get the humans with the mRNA, then hell, they'll go for the animals, you know, because they're going to consume the animals. Uh, mRNA in in general is that what you're saying? What we're, yeah, what we're yeah. Uh, you know, most cattle ranchers are rural Americans. They live in and they're very independent. They're independent minded, and and most of them figured out that this was poppycock. The mRNA uh, vaccine had grave potential dangers. So most of the cattle ranchers that I know did not take vaccines. Okay. Take the MRNA vaccines. And they know that this is not a traditional vaccine and they, they they've seen the uh, disaster that it's been and, and the side effects and the deaths that has caused and the morbidity that it has caused. So most cattle ranchers in general are, are look at MRNA very negatively. Uh, however, we also have an industry that reg that, that uh, is, captured by big pharma as well. They, these uh, allied health, allied cattle industry, allied health individuals. And they, and I saw very early on that they were trying to uh, butter up farmers and ranchers and getting them, uh, getting them conditioned to use MRNA because we heard that there was MRNA technology being experimented on by animal health companies. And so I, I came out very early and saw what happened in medicine and correlated it to what was happening in the, the cattle industry. And uh, I presented uh, the facts and the ideas to our uh, United States Cattlemen's Organization. And we came out with a resolution in early December at our annual meeting that we were absolutely against mRNA technology to be used in livestock. 
Um, and if they did go forward with research, it needed to be completely transparent and open uh, and be evaluated by independent uh, scientists who were not um, uh, captured and had had no conflicts of interest. Uh, so we call for two things. Uh, right now, we don't want to use mRNA in cattle, too. If there is if it does move forward, we definitely want to see the research uh, so we can. Uh, and then three, we want everything to be labeled accurately. And to be quite honest, I think if, if they had to label the food as being um, treated with mRNA, the public, the general public has rejected this technology so much that that it would just kill it. Uh, just like the, um, you know, the plant based burgers and the, those companies are going by the wayside. Um, and I think it would kill mRNA in livestock. There is a uh, swine vaccine that's mRNA that has been approved, but I'm told it's not currently being used in the in the swine industry. But my fear, as far as getting cattlemen to use mRNA in their cattle, uh, they would do something what like what happened with COVID-19. There would be some great health. Uh, crisis outcomes such as food and uh, foot and mouth disease. Right, uh, we have foot and mouth disease in the United States, but it is in several countries and regions that we import beef from. And our, our organization is very much against importing uh, beef or food, uh, uh, you know, livestock or livestock products from those countries. And unfortunately, the United States Department of Agriculture um, doesn't see it that way. And they see the mRNA technology as something where we could respond quickly to a disease outbreak. Um, but, you know, quick is not always better, just like Operation Warp Speed wasn't always better. Let's unpack this some more. I think it's absolutely fascinating because I want people to understand what they need to look for and they need to support the cattle. You are the immediate past president of the Cattle Association. Yeah, the United States Cattlemen Association. I want to differentiate ourselves from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association is probably is the largest and wealthiest um, uh, industry group, uh, but very few cattle producers are actually direct members uh, of that organization. And they control a $80 million government mandated beef checkoff to lobby against farmers and ranchers. So the United States Cattlemen's Association is more of a, a producer level uh, organization where we produce the food. Uh, National Cattlemen's Beef Association allegedly uh, represents producers of food, but in reality, they represent uh, the big meatpacking uh, monopolies. So it sounds like they're on the other side, they would be on the other side of the table from where you guys are. Yeah, on, on most issues, they are on the other side of the table from from what we are. Um, whatever is in the interest of the of the meatpacking uh, meatpacking monopoly is is where they they come out on on uh, side of issues. Like we had a law uh, called mandatory country of origin labeling that was in effect, but it was repealed in 2015 after the WTO ruled against the United States, saying it was anti-competitive and harming. Canadian and American markets and Canadian and Mexican markets. Um, and uh, so they were going to re award retaliatory tariffs to Mexico and Canada. Uh, and Congress in a panic knee jerk move repealed that, uh, that law. And within two weeks, our live cattle market dropped 40%. It was absolutely devastating. Wow. So there's National, a lot of politics behind this. I mean, National a lot Cattlemen's of Beef Association is against mandatory country of origin labeling, uh, but producer only groups are very much for it. Um, 
And unfortunately, they use uh, this government mandated beef checkoff to uh, get what they want. I mean, it's uh, they got, you know, they use so, $40 million that they get out of it. All right. So, so I, let's just say I'm a consumer. I, you know, I go to the market, I buy, I buy. And I mean, how, give the, the, the points, give the audience some information to buy food from the good guys. You know, if you can't beat them, we can bankrupt them because we cannot buy their food. So who should they, what, what are the labels of the, the good labels, the good brands that people should be buying in terms of food? Uh, the only way that you know you're going to get uh, a good, clean food is to buy it directly from a butcher or from uh, uh, a producer themselves. Right now, we have meat that is commingled from foreign countries and it's labeled as product of the USA. And they don't have the, the they don't have the quality genetics that we have to produce the good food, but they also don't have uh, the regulatory oversight that we have and the health requirements that we have. So I would say... Uh, do your best to try to buy it directly from a farmer and rancher. There are some things like uh, butcher box that have, that have commercialized this, but I don't even know where they source their meat, to be quite honest. The only way you can, you know where you're getting your meat from is to go to a small butcher uh, or um, go to a, a, a rancher directly. The so, problem is, Christine, is they've, they've, they have monopolized this market for so long that I see this as a national security crisis um, because we, if, if we make it so unprofitable for farmers and ranchers uh, to continue to farm and ranch, which it has been over the last several decades and the only people doing it, there are not many young people getting in it. We're going to be dependent upon these foreign monopolies for our food and our protein. Um, and it's, it's basically running cattle ranchers off the ranch uh, next generation, young, younger generations aren't taking their place. They're they're moving to the city uh, and it's destroying the economy of rural America. Um, and then, you know, rural America has also been afflicted by the opioid crisis. And you got to say that would be a direct result of the economy of rural, rural America. Absolutely. So are there any politicians on the national stage who are listening to your message? Thomas Massey. He's a cattle producer. Um, okay. some of the, some of the Midwestern, uh, uh, but they play politics too, but Dusty Johnson from South Dakota, uh, he usually is on the producer's side. Um, he's a, he's a, he was a new member of Congress. Yeah. Harriet Hagman from Wyoming. Uh, she understands all these issues. Thomas, I would say Thomas Massey and Harriet Hagman probably understand the issues better than anybody in Congress. Is there is there anybody? Have you gotten to the presidential campaigns? Have you talked to them about this? Because I agree with you. You know, I mean, these people are so nefarious. If they can't get the humans, they're gonna go. They're gonna go for the animals. They're gonna mix. You know, it's a very interesting argument that you that you laid out on Monday, and and I was absolutely fascinated by it because I think that most people do not understand. And somebody mentioned to me yesterday, a, a good friend of. Uh, this show, Dwayne Armstrong was talking to me and saying that, you know, he was seeing that there were some people were getting COVID fatigued. And I thought to myself, they can't get COVID fatigued because these people are not going away. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going away. So we have to think out of the box of how is it that they're going to, you know, make this a standard level of MRNA in our lives. 
So the food is a very interesting venue. What can the public do about this? Other than getting educated. I mean, is there a website that they can go to? Is there a place to, to get educated about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I wrote a, a Substack on it um, not long ago, several months ago, probably in the fall, um, that the Rancher Doctor newsletter uh, talks about mRNA and livestock um, and the tactics that are being used by um, allied health agencies and, and animal health agencies to get it uh, uh, basically something that's palatable for farmers and ranchers. We need to republish that. We, I would like to republish that because people need to understand this. The, it, it, it's not just about, you know, the shots. This is about their way of life. And we have to push back on this. Yeah. And I, I also did a, a podcast with Robert Malone on this where we talked about it uh, in pretty good detail. And that's also on, uh, hung on my website as well. Um, but, you know, the only way this is going to turn around is if, if the public rejects this technology um, because there's so much money from, from, from pharma that's basically controlling a large portion of our popul- of our, uh, of our uh, representatives in the government. The regulatory agencies are captured. I know uh, Vivek, who's no longer running for president, he wants to do away with a lot of the regulatory agencies, which I agree with. I'm certainly hopeful if whoever is elected that we can um, uh, get them to understand what the real issues are. Uh, you know, when when the Obama administration pushed through the Affordable Care Act, everybody said, oh, the Affordable Care Act, it sounds that sounds good. Yeah. Who's not for affordable care? Uh, mm-hmm. But it turned out to be anything but. And the same mm-hmm. thing happens in the agricultural industries. Oh, National Farm Bureau. Oh, that's a farmer's organization. Oh, National Cattlemen's Beef Association. That's a National Cattlemen's yeah. Association. <laughs> Let's let's listen to them. And unfortunately, they have those are the type of people, those big, huge organizations that really aren't producer oriented, uh, have the ear of most of the politicians and um, and have the most money to lobby the politicians. So uh, we really have to educate the public uh, and then uh, the politicians, you know, they want to get reelected. So if they see this as a big hot button issue with with consumers and the public, um, I think they're more likely to uh, see it our way. Where's what is your Substack? Uh, Brooke Miller MD at Substack.com. It's the Rancher Doctor newsletter. I don't write a lot, but I do write some. I'm getting ready to to hang the uh, you know the framework of, of what I spoke about in on Richmond uh, there. If I can get to it uh, later on in the day, I I just I don't have a lot of time to write. But when I when I have fine time, I do try, enjoy writing about health issues, uh, mRNA, and also the cattle industry and uh, things that are near and dear to my to my heart. Well, we would like to publish those as a contributor because I think it's it's very important for people to understand, one, this isn't going away. Two, it's in the, it, there is a discussion to be had here seriously for people to get educated about the food supply. Uh, yeah, this, this is really a national security issue that, that they, if we, I think the globalists want to destroy our ability to be self-sufficient um, and uh, in the name of climate change or health. And it's always junk science uh, that they use. And then they censor you if you have a competing or a different opinion. And uh, I think, you know, of the national politicians, I would hope uh, President Trump would 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 come on board. I know Robert Kennedy uh, Jr., I've seen him speak a couple of times on the monopolies uh, and how it destroyed 
uh, the independent hog farmers. And I think he understands it, but I really don't think uh, politicians in general understand it. And Robert Kennedy is really not a politician. Uh, he's an advocate, a health advocate. Mm-hmm. And and I th- and, and Bobby has said, you know, that, you know, there's, there's something wrong because when he and I were kids, you know, we, we didn't have all these, these, these diseases as kids. No, we didn't have, we didn't have autism. You know, people, there were some people that had asthma, but I mean, but not at the numbers that we're seeing today. I mean, this is, this is off the charts. Right. All right. So, so I, we're going to, we're going to publish whatever you write, because I think it's, I think it's very important. I do agree with you that it's a national security issue because anything that encroaches on, on anybody's freedom to choose uh, to me, it's a national security. I mean, I, I just don't like the, I don't like the tone of people telling us what we have to eat, where we have to go, where we can't go, where we have to wear a mask, what we have to do in terms of our lives. What's the biggest tip that you can give Brooke to people from, from as a physician from the wellness that they should be from the wellness perspective of what they should be doing? Uh, they should be doing things that will uh, improve their health and wellness, both their mental and, and physical health. And those are pretty simple things, Christine. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in a carnivore diet and reversing chronic disease. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. If you don't suffer from a weight problem or chronic disease and a healthy whole ba- uh, uh, a healthy balanced diet, uh, devoid of any processed foods. And, and people don't understand that most of the grains that they eat are processed and mm-hmm. are highly uh, contaminated with uh, pesticides. Um, even though our uh, Food and Drug Administration and USDA or whoever the regulatory agencies uh, allow it, they say they're you know not above the certain levels, but there's something that's causing this. Um, so eat a healthy, high carb, I mean, high protein, high fat diet. Fat is good for you. It's not bad for you. Cut out the carbohydrates, exercise, get, take your vitamin D. There's so much research now coming out. If you don't have, if you, if you, if you don't have a physician, start taking vitamin D, get your vitamin D levels checked and make sure they're at good, healthy levels above uh, 50 milligrams per deciliter. Um, breathe clean, fresh air, get outside, get off, uh, Get off your phone, get off your tablet, get off your computer, um, which is you know pretty hard to do. But uh, uh, just the simple things and and go back to the basics of living. Go back to the basics, and right. um, you know that'll that'll pay off in dividends. You know, I see so many people with chronic illness, and and I'm 63 years of age, but I still CrossFit on a almost daily basis. Uh, my body feels you know, relatively good. I've got some arthritis in a shoulder, but um, I'm out there working and I see all my patients that are even younger than me. And they say, oh, my body hurts so bad. My body hurts so bad. I've got arthritis here, arthritis there. Well, first of all, get it moving, but also cut out carbohydrates. They're inflammatory. They cause um, anxiety, depression, uh, and inflammation. Um, so, so I want to I want to ask you about this mental health because the you know what we see with big pharma now I, I, you know if if you listen if you listen if you're abroad and you listen to the news here and the emphasis on mental health you think 330 million people were out of their you know just bonkers in America because they're darkening up mental health and they're talking about putting the the mental health clinics you know in the schools this overdrugging of children has been driving me crazy for a good 40 years. What what are, what's your message to parents about that? 
about the Ritlins. You know, I mean, all these antidepressants, SSRIs. Is do you have a message for them? If 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 a patient comes in and said, you know, my kid's driving me crazy, you know, my my kid can't focus or something like that. What do you tell that parent to do? Put the kid put the put the kid in a rowing class. Well, exercise. Uh, you know, you cleaning up their food will work tremendously as far as children's mental health and and their ability to focus and concentrate. I mean, getting all the seed oils, all the processed food, all the high fructose corn syrup out of their pro, out of their bodies uh, will do a tremendous amount. As will getting them active and exercise and get them involved in sports and athletics, and then also be you know be. Uh, you know, show some tough love, be a disciplinarian. You don't have, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not advocating for beating children, but you know, don't. Um, no, it's, it's the way that we grew up. I mean, we were just, don't, don't let them get away with things, have consequences with their actions. I mean, take things away from them that they truly uh, love, take their phone away from them. Um, well, that, you know, get them off of social media. I mean, I yeah, tell that to people cool. all the time and I'm not a physician, but I just think that the, the impact that it has had has been so negative on these kids. I think uh, the more time parents uh, spend with their children, the better the children are adjusted, the healthier they are, and the better uh, citizens they grow up to be. I make a point every time I see a child in for a well wellness check and the, and the mother's there, the father's there, usually it's the mother that brings them in. And at the end of the examination, I tell them that, you know, life is made of uh, made up of decisions and we make thousands of decisions every day that we don't even know we're making decisions. And if you make good decisions then most likely good things are going to happen to you in your life. And if you make bad decisions, then most likely bad things will, will end up happening. So, um, you know, a lot of that is food choices, exercise, how you treat other people, whether you smile and look people in the eye, you get all that back. Uh, you know, yourself, when you smile at someone and look at them and say, hello, a lot of times they'll smile at you and, and uh, that sort of lifts your, your mood too. So uh, it's it's just our daily lives, just how we 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 lead our daily lives and the decisions we make on a daily basis have so much of an impact on the health and wellness of our bodies and our minds. Well, Brooke, I've enjoyed this conversation. I want to have you back. I would like you to come back with your wife, Aunt. Would you please tell her for us? Um, uh, I will. We've only scratched the surface, but I would I, I would I would love to talk with you some more. Yeah. And, and, and is there anything you want to add before we sign off on this show or just anything that we missed that you think we should have covered? Um, not right off offhand. Um, I, I am really concerned about uh, the economic viability of, of farming and ranching and uh, the power that the monopolies have over farmers and ranchers and how that impacts our country. Um, because they, you know, the globalists want centralized control and, right. and, you know, anybody that studied history, uh, any centralization, any, any deeply centralized government is is destined for failure and uh, destined for tyranny. And I just want people to try to become a little more self-sufficient, um, learn how to do, you know, don't stop learning, learn how to uh, grow a garden, um, uh, learn about agriculture, learn how to, because so one day you may need it. Um, so try, try, to, try to open and broaden your horizons. That's great. Well, Brooke, thank you very much. I've enjoyed this. We're definitely going to have you back. We're going to publish, you know, your Substack because I think I think it's really important because you you ha you do as I as I said to you, have a very unique voice because you're past president of the Cattle Association, but you're also 
you know, a physician, you're an owner of, you know, Angus cattle. And I just, I think in your living in rural America, where it's really important. So again, I appreciate you joining us today and thank you. And we look forward to seeing you in the future. Thank you, Christine. I really enjoyed being on. Christine, I'm going to run real quick ad. Oh, here we go. Thanks. Our world is changing rapidly. Many crucial systems we depend upon are collapsing. And the most important system that is failing is the food supply. Mr. President, this council is more than aware of the multiple challenges and threats the world is facing today. But the threat of famine, people starving slowly to death, must be a red line. You know, these food prices are going to keep going up and up, and they're going to keep feeding excuse after excuse, narrative after narrative. Yeah, where you're going to have to get off that treadmill and start getting more autonomous with your own food growing. You want to make sure that you can eat, because frankly, food is the biggest issue as we are going through these transitions. But amidst the chaos, there is a path to resilience. Marjorie Wildcraft is the female leader of the survival and preparedness movement. Marjorie has taught millions of people how to grow an abundance of food in a grid-down situation even if you have no experience, are older, or out of shape. I've spent decades finding the fastest, easiest, and funnest ways for the average person to be able to grow a lot of food. I've created a step-by-step -step process that's so simple that even kids to elders have been using it in order to grow a lot of their own food. And you can too, even if you have no experience, you're older or you're out of shape. Growing your own food is like printing your own money. Get started today.